0: Welcome back to the Red Dice Stories RPG podcast with John and Hannah. Hi. It's time for another Friend or Foe Friday. Okay, so as normal, we're going to roll a dice to decide which monster we're going to be looking at. We'll compare sort of D&D 5th edition with the AD&D 2nd ed Monster Manual. We'll talk a bit about the monster as it's portrayed in D&D, and maybe suggest some ideas how you can use them in your games. So to find out what monster we're going to use, do you want to roll a dice, see what letter we're using? Okay.
1: 23, that's a W.
0: Okay, so roll another dice, see what monster we're going for. That's a three.
1: Water Elemental,
0: page one, two, five. Okay, so let's have a quick look at those in the two respective monster manuals and see what, what we've got. Got.
1: see what we've got.
0: Okay, so looking at the fifth edition monster manual, we have all of the classic elementals, air, earth, fire and water listed out. There's also some generic information on elementals. their creatures composed of one of the four elements they exist on the inner planes but can be summoned to the prime material plane which is like the real world of your campaign setting and they can be bound into certain forms so golems are animated by elemental spirits and things like that however Mm -hmm. from my understanding the elemental as portrayed in the monster manuals is the sort of purer form of these creatures when they're just literally like a mass of living flame or water or whatever
1: i was under the impression and i could be entirely wrong here okay that the idea is that there's like four parallel dimensions in addition to your game world, which are elemental dimensions. That's not entirely. That correct. have their own ecologies and everything, and that these creatures are basically pulled out of that dimension briefly for the length of your S- sort spell.
0: of. But basically, your prime material campaign is your campaign world. Mm-hmm. Then, alternate dimensions are everyone else's campaign world and sort of sitting around above and below them are various other types of planes so you've got your heavens sort of above them your astral plane the hells below them but you've also got these elemental or inner planes as they're called which are sort of quite inhospitable and are composed as you're rightly saying of mainly of these different elements so the elemental plane of water is like a long uh, never-ending ocean for example And as you rightly say, when elemental elementals are sort of like the naturally occurring inhabitants of those realms composed of the very material that makes up the plane itself, and they can be summoned into the prime material plane by like magic users and stuff like that. Now obviously we're looking at the water elemental in this episode which the 5th edition monster manual sort of shows this large amorphous mass of water that can squeeze through very narrow gaps and move through hostile creatures spaces due to its liquid nature. It can also be slowed down by cold damage because it freezes up the water that makes it up. It can do a sort of slam attack on people where it's like a sort of tidal wave force hitting them or it can do an attack that's called a whelm attack in this Mm -hmm. where it sort of absorbs someone into the water effectively grappling them with the obvious downside of you're also drowning because you're inside a water creature. So how does that compare to what's in the AD&D Second Dead Monster Manual?
1: So in the Second Dead Monster Manual the fire and water elementals are lumped together into one stat block. Um... Or rather, there's a stat block for each of them, as there are so often. But there's only one page yeah. of description for the two, so it spends quite a lot of time talking about fire elementals. Um, it suggests that you need a large pool of liquid to summon a fire, uh, water elemental, uh, but that several kegs of wine or ale will do just as well. Oh right, okay because um, obviously it, it's a creature yeah, of liquid sense, it doesn't yeah. matter what, the, what else is in the water all of that's mostly water yeah, that's interesting um, and then in combat it has a wave-like arm that does between 5 and 30 points of damage basically what it does is it sits in the water and it uses the water around it as a weapon so if you can get it out of the water, it can do a, it. Does a lot less damage. See, that's quite interesting because it doesn't mention anything
0: about like weakening it by moving it away from the water in the fifth edition monster manual, as far as I can see. I mean, it has all of the sort of non-living creature immunities. You know, you can't charm it, you can't sleep it, all of that sort of malarkey but uh, one thing I did notice when we were looking at the the AD&D book is there seems to be a lot in there sort of at the start where it's talking about general sort of elemental information. There's a lot about summoning them, about taking control of elementals from people, about how you can summon different hit dice types of elementals, whereas you don't really seem to get as much of that in fifth edition it literally tells you they're conjured by magic gives you a few bits and pieces about other types of creatures that are powered by elemental spirits then you get a brief write-up and a stat block and that's pretty much it to be honest Uh, it tells you that they're um, the bodiless life forces on their own plane, they don't really have any sort of focused will, society or culture. They're sort of summoned, told what to do, and that's it. They crack on with it. But there seems to be a lot more sort of in-depth information about how you summon them... ...and how you you, you can use them in the Monster Manual in ADD 2nd Edition. Now, I don't know whether that's because th- that information is included elsewhere in 5th Edition or whether there's just not such a focus on it, to be honest. If anyone out there knows, drop us a message and let us know. It
1: references it being in the player's handbook as well in the second ed, so you'd have to yeah. assume that it's in the elemental magic bit of whatever player's handbook elemental magic's in now. Yeah.
0: So I've been doing a bit of research on elementals, and they were originally sort of referred to as mythic beings, used in sort of like occult and alchemical workings. Mm-hmm. Apparently, the sort of traditional image of them was sort of invented around the the 16th century um, by someone called Paracelsus. Apologies if I've got that wrong. If there's any ancient alchemists out there listening, and his followers. They originally categorized them as different types of what they called elemental creatures. So there was gnomes, undines, sylphs, and salamanders, mm-hmm. obviously creatures which still exist within D D and fantasy literature, but that was just the categorization they used for the different elements. And they they sort of pulled that was sort of they formalized it, but they sort of drew together those ideas of different types of creatures. ...from like earlier mythologies... ...and they were trying to categorise them... ...you know much in the same way as the four humours sort of medical idea... ...tried to categorise all illnesses by relation to one of the four humours... ...they were trying to take all these mythological creatures... ...and categorise them by their links to one or other of these elements... ...which I think is quite interesting... ...obviously we're gnomes being of earth... ...undines for water, sylphs for air... ...and salamanders of course for fire and I think it's quite interesting because I noticed in, the, in both the monster manuals it mentions other types of creatures that are potentially related to elementals and there's a bit about elemental kin like water weirds and stuff like that are classified as elemental kin in the AD&D monster manual although they seem to have been given more of a sort of separate sort of categorization in the 5th edition monster manual they're not sort of all lumped together so have you managed to find anything in the big dictionary and mythology about elementals?
1: So, yeah, it says pretty much what you've just gone over there. Um, it has the rather annoying sentence at the end of the paragraph that says, some say that elementals are the remains of humans, but it doesn't say who. Well, that's,
0: uh, well, that's frustrating me, vague, as is unfortunately the case with a lot of this mythology. But I have noticed when I was doing like, my research, like a lot of the the creatures that they sort of tried to classify as, like, elemental creatures are actually creatures that nowadays we'd probably consider, like, fairies or fae or mm-hmm. stuff like that.
1: The first definition it gives here in the Big Dictionary of Mythology is a nature spirit.
0: Yeah, so I think that's I think that's interesting. And the the sort of mythological version of it, to me, seems far more compelling than the, the d d version, which, let's face it, it's a big blob of... Insert name and material here. That you summon, you tell it to guard this, kill that, do the other. It does it, then drifts off back to its inner plane. I mean, even the the fifth edition book itself is like, oh, they don't any really society. There's nothing really interesting about them. They're just big wavy monsters or big fiery monsters that you can summon and you can get to do your bidding if you can command them sufficiently. Although, I know in the, the AD&D Second Dead Monster Manual, it mentions that if the hold's broken, they can go berserk. But again, it's just like a ravening monster, which... Yeah, okay, if you want a summoned creature for like a quick combat, fair enough. But it's not particularly interesting in terms of like building an encounter around it, or building an adventure around it, is it, really? Mm. One of the things I do find a bit weird is the fact that given how it describes elementals as being sort of devoid of intelligence or society or anything like that there is mention in the Forgotten Realms sort of literature and I presume other worlds of the Princes of Elemental Evil Who so I don't know a lot about them but obviously there's the, the adventure the Temple of Elemental Evil, the classic adventure, I don't know whether the two are connected but apparently according to the Forgotten Realms fandom wiki, the Princes of elemental evil are godlike entities embodying air earth fire and water so they're obviously elementals of a type but why they have personalities and goals and presumably alignments since they're evil i honestly i'm not sure Okay, so let's talk about a few of the ways in which they could be used in people's games. Now, I think, to be honest, the issue with the elementals is, as they are in the monster manuals, they're not particularly interesting. Yeah, Phantom agrees with me. They're just big blobs of matter, energy, whatever you want to call it, that are summoned forth from the inner planes. They're told to do something, they go and do it, happy days. Occasionally they escape and run amok, that's pretty much it. But I think as we were saying earlier, you know, where there's links to potentially other types of elemental creatures, I think you could do a lot more with them to make them a lot more interesting. And as we've said in a previous Friend of Foe Friday episodes, I think monsters are more interesting when they've got a bit of a background, a bit of a history. They're not just random monsters summoned by a wizard so one of the ways i can think of using them is if you took the idea of the genius loci the spirit of a particular place um, so for instance let's say that was like a sacred lake or something like that perhaps you could use the stats for the elemental to represent that spirit when it manifested a body on the prime material plane mm-hmm. now obviously that the fact that there's a genius loci there so of brings up a few further questions like how did the spirit of the place get awakened has it always been awakened so sort of how powerful is it is it like a small god or is it just like a minor spirit Um why is it interacting with the player characters what does it want it becomes an individual with its own goals and its own aims rather than just i've been summoned to be at this lake and guard this lake so it could form an unlikely patron for adventurers perhaps someone's polluting the lake and that's affecting the health of the spirit so perhaps it reaches out to the player characters when they're going nearby to try and get their help maybe it can offer them some of the things that have fallen into the water you know like coins wealth whatever over the years as incentive to do that so i think that's one possible way you could do that and that ties in with the whole um sort of siren sort of style idea you know often found near lakes or drawing people in so i think that's one potential thing you could do with it expand it so the elemental is just like the body of the spirit of a place, plus then it would have an animating intelligence. So rather than just being sort of like a rampaging berserker made of water, it would actually have the ability to think, to strategize. But you, you're pretty much just re-skinning the stats that are in the monster manual. Although I like the idea you were talking about earlier when you were saying in the uh, AD&D monster mm-hmm. manual where it's like the wine that you could use wine or whatever for it. I th-
1: I think what makes the water elemental a useful interesting monster isn't actually the creature itself it's as you say where it comes from yeah so i mean you could have one appear from the sewers you could have one appear from a fountain you could have one appear from the mill pond and each of those would have its own distinct identity even though it's the same stats you could put a player group up against each of those three and it would feel like quite a different fight yeah but you're, you're still stats, you still use the same stats you're using the same stats Um, Yeah, I mean, I
0: I, I personally love the idea of, like... uh, Because we were saying about in classical elementals, alchemical elementals in mythology, they're often described as, like, spirit-like creatures that sort of manifest from nature. And it doesn't take a lot to extend that into, like, the spirits of the dead being able to do that. I mean, we get a lot of mix-up between the fae and spirits of the dead in classical mythology. But I love the idea of, like, maybe someone who was, like, a wine connoisseur, like, going to, like, a wine like a wine tasting like fair or like something like that like a competition and one of his opponents like takes him out or like poisons him and his spirit sort of manifests you can imagine like the scene everyone sat around on this big table everyone's sloshing the wine back they've brought all like the big sort of casks of wine or ale or whatever out and then suddenly like this big thing like rises up out from the casks Mm -hmm. sort of smashing the barrels open and forming this body out of all like the ale or the wine I think that would be a really cool little like set piece sort of combat you could do.
1: So, one of the things that's really useful about the elementals, and there's like a few generic monsters that you can do this with, Yeah, is you can sort of have it in the bag at any time for when you want to throw in a combat, but things have slowed down, but you had not actually planned a combat, but you think you need one here. And, as I say, you can theme it. Very quickly to whatever your um, your current setting yeah, is. Yeah, just
0: reskin it a little bit, don't you? Yeah.
1: So it, it's a really good, like, generic one to sort of, as I say, have like in your back pocket almost. Especially for D and D and Dungeon Crawly type D and D. Yeah,
0: and I think obviously you mentioned the fact that like you could have one in the sewers and stuff like that. Obviously, and we're talking about the wine as well, obviously, like taverns and sewers, they're often used in urban adventuring. So it's nice that as well as using a water elemental in a sort of rural setting, you know, where you tend to think about lakes and water and stuff like that, that you could quite easily, as you were saying, love, reskin it and use it very easily in an urban setting.
1: Yeah, whereas something like a griffin... yeah is always a griffin wherever it is it looks the same there's certain sort of like things that you could do to make an urban fight against a griffin compared to a like on some windswept cliffs fighting against a griffin but it's still going to feel like the same kind of a creature whereas if you fought like the uh, epic white horses on a beach and then you went back to the tavern and fought an ale monster. And then on your way home, something came up out of the mill pond. Well, that would feel like three very different sort of bits of story. Oh, yeah. yeah. In spite of the fact that it's just the same monster over and over.
0: I think it was interesting you mentioned the white horses. Because I immediately like flashed back to that bit in Lord of the Rings... Where like, the oh, river yeah. comes and it's got the white horses at the top of it. And obviously, that's not really like a, a water elemental as such. But it's described as that ancient magic's lingering over the river.
1: I think it's an Irish myth. All right, OK. The, the white horses are the... Waves in the sea.
0: Oh, yeah, yeah. I, I know I know the classical myth I was talking about in Tolkien, though, yeah. it's, uh, it's described as that ancient magic that sort of causes the river to rise up. And Gandalf's like, yeah, and I stuck some white horses on top. You know, I like a bit of that cinematic flavour. So I, I love the idea of, you could easily say there's like an elemental bound to a particular place, but not by a wizard, by like some ancient magics or for some reason the site was particularly... Beloved by the gods, or something like that, I think that's a really cool idea. also, if you wanted to take the um the sort of deities in your campaign world in a more sort of animistic style, you know where every plant creature uh rock, whatever has its own spirit, its own little god in it, you could well imagine that some of these sort of larger mm-hmm. spirits, these larger gods, could be quite capable of manifesting themselves. And I think these elementals, as we were saying, the beauty of them being that they can easily be reskinned. You could easily imagine a god of like a mountain, like appearing as like a giant sort of rocky earth elemental, or the god of the of a particular stretch of seashore, like forming up part of the foaming waves when like its area is threatened. So I hope we've given you a few ideas for using elementals water elementals specifically in your games i'm sure we'll revisit these in a future episode and we're talking about doing an episode on magical helpers covering the gamut of summoned creatures and creatures that you can potentially like familiars and stuff like that Mm -hmm. in the very near future so hopefully you'll enjoy that as well If you want to leave us a message, maybe tell us how you use Elementals in your games, or if you use them at all. You can leave us a message on Speakpipe. There'll be a link in the description below. Or you can send us an email to rddrpgpodcast at gmail.com. Until we see you next time, take care, stay safe, and keep gaming.
1: Bye.